Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you for those kind words, Father Preston. Let's take, for just a moment, open our hearts and maybe just take a couple of breaths and try to enter into the presence of this moment and open our hearts to God. I love that the Spirit is described as breath, right? And that our very breaths are evidence of God's dream for us continuing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The sower and the seed is this famous parable most of you are very familiar with. And the text opens up with Jesus getting into a boat, and the crowd begins to gather. And he starts this story, this parable. He said a lot of these parables, right? They're stories about this farmer who's planting seeds. And he clarifies a little later that the seed that the sower is sowing is uh, the word of God. A lot of times in modern thinking, we think that he's talking about the Bible, but he didn't have it like that. They, he, it, not Bible verses per se, because 99.99% of all those people couldn't read, right? Um, it actually wasn't until even in the 15th century, only 5% of the human race could read. Most people couldn't. So they experience texts like these stories by hearing them. And when Jesus is talking to them, giving them the ideas, the seed, what scripture would have implied was what he focused on. This is the seed. It's not biblical memorization per se, even though that's good. It was just these grand stories, these arcs that would emerge out of the ideas of God and the ideas that were found in scripture. God's ideas, they're packed with creative energy. And they carry the potential to change the world. Uh, for example, when Jesus talked about the sun, he, he doesn't quote Genesis, right? God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night, Genesis 1. He doesn't do that. What he says instead is, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. So that when uh, people, when they caught the stories, these big ideas behind the stories, they could think about God chasing them, right, with the sun becomes part of their everyday life because of how the stories were put forward. These were the, these spoken parables were not biblical exegesis, but they were ideas that even children could get. And Jesus calls that the seed. We know that things like the sun are here, but it's that what's really behind the nature of all of that. Why are things here? The idea is that things are here because God causes it to be here. God sends it to be here. God brings forth stuff by virtue of the fact that he's God or that God is God. This is a big idea, right? See the sun, God's sending it. They could think about this as they walked along the road, as they worked in the fields. God is here. He's sending those rays. He's smiling at me, that kind of idea. The idea of creation is that there is something that goes on inside God's self that initiates what we see as creation, that it comes out of God, it comes forth. The early church fathers talked about this idea of perichoresis. That word means the rotation or the dance, that there's something in God, Father, Son, and Spirit that's kind of moving. And that as that movement happens, there's an energy of that dance that spills out, which forms what we see as the created world and the created universe. The construct that we know is time. 
Those things emerge out of this dance and energy that's within God. But that dance doesn't stop inside God. It spills out into creation. Creation itself echoes God's dance. Uh, God's creative energy also brings forth things within creation itself. So Genesis 1 says, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the plants and the creatures bring forth. And then God looks at humans and says, bring forth this ongoing thing of God's creative energy from the seed. Uh, the universe we're a part of is still bringing forth. There are star-birthing galaxies. Right? Uh, planets are continually being born. And, and so the dance continues, and the energy of God fills the cosmos. The seed that Jesus is talking about are big ideas like that. They're letting the implications of text get bigger than texts. The seed that you and I are in a universe full of created energy. Think of that when you're chasing your toddler, right? Or when you're looking for grace to not hate that person you work with. That you're in a world that's full of creative energy from God. That just as the sun is shining, God's sending that to you. He's sending also the energies of love and peace and et cetera at you. I love Aquinas' nod to this when he talks about this idea of, he calls it in Latin, exitus with a T, and then reditus with a T. And he's basically saying things go out of God. And they have a kind of boomerang thing on them, that when they go out of God, they come back to God, right? So there's this idea that creativeness goes out, and then as it hits us, we're the result of creation. We become creative, and we give back to God and to those that are around us. See, these kinds of thoughts cascade into other huge thoughts, Right, Like the fact that the created world we live in that came from God, we know has gotten off course. And there are all kinds of implications to that. This thing called sin enters. And there are lots of theological theories about what sin is and about how, about why it appeared. But the point is, things are not quite right. So even though we're in this created world where God is moving with creative energy, there's some stuff that isn't right. The corollary to this thought is that God stayed with us even when things go wrong. That in the fall mythology, humans, they're pushed out of the garden of God, but then we find God going with the humans, <laughs> following them into their lives and into their stories and into our history, even though we had become the rebels, the rebels, right? God has not abandoned us. It's this kind of good seed that if you let grow in your soil of your soul, will start producing fruit. Some 30, Jesus said, 60, 100. In other words, there's an increasing kind of potentiality that's in the are in these thoughts that can cause your life to flourish in ways that would be surprising or will be surprising to you. This, this refusal of God to abandon us hints at the fact that God is not only our father, but that God is our mother. I love the text in Isaiah 49 where it says, can a mother, God's talking, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? <laughs> Not likely. And have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So there's, there's some way in what this is saying is that um, because God is caring, because God is good, because God is leaning into us, he's always working with us for good, that God actually turns even what is evil, even the things that have, that have caused our falling, to turn around into good. This is called redemption. That's the big theological word 
that means God takes the suck out of the suck. Right? That somehow God just twists, turns things back around. Right? Jesus' point in our gospel story is that big ideas like these produce surprising things in us, different things in us that we would come up with by ourselves. We can't come up with by ourselves. That the more that we're open to them, the more fruitfulness they will bring in our lives. The more of an open, soft heart we have, the more they'll begin to produce in us. Right? But Jesus warns us in this gospel that the seed that has such potentiality can actually lose its power in you and in me if we're not watchful. And it turns out that God's seed, like any natural seed, it needs to have the right environment in order to grow. So whether you're talking about being planted in the right place, and Jesus talks about this in this parable, uh, seed is in good ground versus being over on, on rocky ground or being in thorns. You know, He just says where it is, the environment that surrounds it will impact its impact in your life. And so you, you need to have sun, you need to have rain, you need to have the right temperature, the right the kind of environment for this to happen. Then Jesus articulates a secret to having the right environment for the growth of God's seed, bringing forth things in your life. The gospel text says this, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. Jesus is telling you and me to watch out for devils. <laughs> the devils want to quash these ideas that can transform us. Uh, first Peter uses, Peter uses this language. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and what they have in their hearts, right? The seed to devour. Now, I don't honestly know if when these terms are used, I mean, this is the first century. There's no idea of what psychology is. And so they're kind of putting everything into evil spirits, right? And so whether these are real devils or just negative patterns that bombard us from other people or from culture or from ourselves, we don't know that. But, but I'm okay with calling it devils because it doesn't matter. There's, you all get the fact negativity is all around you and chasing you, right? Trying to devour you. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he's this 15th century Spanish monk who's involved with the, with the founding of the Jesuits, right? And uh, he, uh, he speaks of the necessity for Christians to consistently, daily, actively engage in discernment. And what he means by that is we need to watch for what God is doing in our lives and we need to watch over against what is happening as a result of evil or evil spirits, he claims. He developed this practice called the examine for this very purpose, to make sure your heart is clean so seed can grow, right? So that the stuff that God has for you just isn't quashed. Uh, he claimed that there are two kinds of seasons that happen in all of our lives. The first one's consolation, which is a good word. Uh, and the second was desolation, not so good. He describes spiritual consolation as the experience that we have of being on fire for God's love. And, and, and we feel impelled to praise God and to love God and to serve God and to help others best we can. Spiritual consolation sort of encourages us and facilitates a deep sense of gratitude for God's faithfulness and God's mercy, right? all that goes to his companionship. In consolation, we feel more alive and connected to other people. It's all wonderful. Consolation is sweet. But in contrast, he describes spiritual desolation. And he says these are experiences of the soul where we get into heavy darkness. 
we get into turmoil. We feel assaulted by all sorts of doubts. And we, we feel bombarded by temptations. We're mired with self-preoccupations. And we are excessively restless and anxious and feel cut off from others. Ignatius actually describes this, quote, one toward, it's a, it's a, it's a move that one towards, moves, moves one toward the lack of faith and leaves one without hope, without love. One is completely listless, tepid, and unhappy and feels separated from our Creator and Lord. Nobody likes desolation. But here's the reality. We experience both of them through our lives. And in our gospel text, Jesus mentions some of those desolations. He talks about trouble and persecution. He talks about the cares of the world. He talks about the lure of wealth and security. These things choke the word. In other words, they make God's big ideas null and void in us. And sadly, you and I will never mature to the place where we only have consolation. You know, will you only be excited about the it's not going to happen. You know, you're going to have seasons of consolation, which everybody loves, and then you're going to have seasons of desolation. Uh, one of the 38 sayings of our patron saint, St. Anthony, uh, uh, the fourth one underscores this, and this is what it says. It's one of my favorite, even though it's depressing. Uh, it says, Abba Anthony said to Abba Poyman, this is the great work of mankind or humankind. Always take the blame for your own sins before God and always expect temptation till the last breath. End quote. I don't know, there's something horrible about that and comforting about that, right? That you're not odd when you're off. You're kind of weird, right? Uh, we live a cruciform life. You know, we, we, it would be wonderful, uh, you know, when we have the cross. It would be wonderful to have everything lined up, linear, sweet, peaceful, but there's always all this stuff crosswise going. There's a part of you that has courage. There's a part of you that's scared. There's a part of you that has faith. A part of you that just doubts. It just, and it's all in you. Talk about confusing. Right? But it is in us. But that's part of the deal. Right? Uh, there are times when trusting God is easy. There are times when it is not. We need to patiently recognize God is still with us in both of those conditions. When we're experiencing consolation, things take care of themselves. Right? But desolation requires a fight. We fight by being thankful in the midst of feeling unthankful. We fight by remembering the seasons of consolation when it was easy to trust. We fight by being with other saints, participating in sacraments, and with patience. We fight. That's not always easy. Remember, Jesus called Satan Beelzebub, which literally means the Lord of the flies. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where flies are attacking you. I, I worked with a, with a pastor friend of mine. We were doing, they call it butt pruning, <laughs> uh, where you take off the, the, on the base of the, of, the, of the trees, the felled trees, you take off the bark. And so you're hitting it and taking the bark. It is hard work, and you start sweating, and the biting flies come. And just swarm your face. And you're just, I mean, you start feeling going crazy a little bit. Because they're all over the place. You have to step out of the scene for a bit in order to process it, right? That's sometimes how our lives are. Some of you go to work, that is your experience. You're at the biting flies zone, right? And whatever the biting, wherever the biting flies are, you have to understand that's, that's the work of the enemy. Desolation is a tough place. You might be right in one of those times this morning. There's so many big ideas, though, that God has for us that we have to fight for. You're forgiven. It's a huge idea. You're not an accident in this world. 
You matter. Huge idea. Has that found root in your soul? You don't have to be perfect. That's a huge idea that I get a lot of desolation over. Because I always think I've got to be perfect. Right? So you have to wrestle with that. So the biting flies don't torment you into not being fruitful with the notion that you belong here, that you don't have to be perfect, that you can just do the best you can and that that's enough. That you don't have to fear. Shazam. It's a great one. So if you're living in fear, don't feel bad. Just repent, <laughs> right? And say, God, I'm living in fear. I mean, I tend to fear easier than trust you. And just talk to God about it and realize that, that, that it, God's with you in all that mix up. And if you hold on to the big idea, you said, I don't have to fear. Actually, 365 times, I think, in the Bible says, do not fear, which is enough for every day, right, of the year. So you just embrace that, and somehow things will start, those big ideas will start to push against those things. And here's the end result of fighting to embrace God's ideas. Jesus is urging us in the gospel. This is what ends up happening. It's our Isaiah text, which I love. It's one of my favorite texts in scripture. And I'm backing up a little bit from the reading, but what, what God says in Isaiah 50, 55 is, my thoughts or my big ideas are not naturally your thoughts. They're just not native to you. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts. And my thoughts are your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, he's saying, and, and does, don't, they don't return back to the heavens without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed but for, to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, which goes out of my mouth. See, this is the seed Jesus is talking about. He's saying, even though my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, I've sent them. And when they hit you, it will water you. And the seed that's around will start bearing fruit in you. And then he says uh, that this fruit, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. And then he says, then you'll go out with joy. <laughs> joy is that, that kind of space where you're just expecting something good's going to happen. I love old Roberts used to say that. Something good is going to happen to you. <laughs> That's at the heart of joy. It's like you just, God is with me and God is working. And I know it looks terrible right now, but somehow he's at work in spite of what we see, in spite of what we, we are experiencing. God is working beyond us. Even the evil, he's working around somehow into good. Not that he creates evil or does evil, but that he's so good evil can't win. And he says, you'll go out with joy and be led in peace. That means everything's appropriate. Everything's right. The mountains and the hills will break into shouts of joy before you. Or they'll sing, I think one version says. They'll sing. I think about that. Mountains and they're going, oh, they're singing over you. And then it says all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Oh, just singing and clapping. <laughs> I love that. Instead of the thorn bush, the juniper will spring up. Cute, beautiful little tree. Instead of the stinging nettle, the myrtle will come up. There's another flowering um, tree, little bush. And it will be a memorial to the Lord. God wants to do this because he wants to show he's alive, working in the world. An everlasting sign that will not be eliminated. 
So God's big ideas will make creation break into shouts of joy and do standing ovations for you. What if that is true? What would that mean for you and your job or your friendships or your relationships or your efforts to be a good mom and dad or grandparent? What, what, how would we think and approach if these big ideas begin to fill those spaces? One last sidebar thing um, before I stop here. This is back to Jesus. In this parable, he says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root. Sometimes when we hear new things, fresh things, whether we hear it in a conversation, a sermon, a book, our own reading, our own thinking, new ideas have such wind to them. They carry us. They're so wonderful. And, uh, and if you're not careful, you'll quickly talk about it. Be cautious to talk about things when they come to you. Because especially in places where you lead, like ministry or at work or in the home with, as a parent, be careful that you're, the fresh wind of ideas aren't given so quickly. That, that, to not share them too quickly while there's a wind of joy in it. And the reason for that, I, I remember years ago, I was just a young pastor, and I had this great insight about loving and about relational loving and I got it and I thought oh I gotta preach this this Sunday it's just hot off the press right and I remember the spirit I felt it was the Holy Spirit said to me don't do that practice it before you give it away any seed practice it plant the seed in your own soul until it produces fruit once that seed produces fruit then give the fruit away because the fruit that you give will have the seed in it you remember that text in Ephesians 4 that talks about we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves or carried about by every wind of doctrine. Don't give away things that still have wind in them. New thoughts have wind. They motivate. They encourage. But don't distribute the seed that carries you because it's childish. Wait. Sometimes for a while, apple seeds becoming apples is quite an arc. <laughs> They've got to go into the ground. They've got to die. They've got to grow the tree. And then eventually the tree brings forth apples. Let the thoughts, the ideas get boring first. Wait till it's, it's good but not easy to think about as it was when it was windy and it captured you. And, and keep in mind Jesus' words here when he said in John 12, Truly I say to you, unless the grain of wheat, unless the seed falls into the earth and dies. It has to die first in you. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Right? Fruit comes after seed dies. On the other side of boring, long after the wind of the new is gone. And then share. Otherwise, keep it in your soul and let it bring forth fruit.